And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This, well, this is This Old Marketing. And well, as of this episode, anyway, we are now proudly brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. That's right. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 396 of our show for Friday, October 6th. 2023. And with me, as always, as he always is, my friend, my colleague, and a guy who might just be next in line for Speaker of the House, Mr. Joe Polizzi. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. That's so funny. People people listening to this won't know that I just swapped. I was under... Actually, we should keep it that way. I want to be have Robert wanna, Rose under yeah. my picture. You want to take credit again, yet again, for all my wonderful ideas. You want to, take you know, that opening felt, felt so, so sounded so natural. It sounded natural, really, like we've like we've been doing it for oh at least one time now. The it, first yeah. episode ever. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. It's and we should like, we we should explain to people what's what's actually happening for those who may have missed last episode or something yes. like that. Why don't you explain to? The I'll good explain folks. it. What's going on here? So on and off for the past few years, we've been in discussions with our friends at HubSpot about becoming part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. For one reason or another, it just didn't get together. We didn't have that's right. Didn't make it happen. And we finally did. It took a few months. We worked out all the details and we said, yes, we'll be happy to come on the network. <laughs> uh, we, we fill. And when I, <laughs> I'm not quite sure the gap that we fill. If I was to look at it on paper, Robert, I would say that we fill the gap of a content marketing and media news show. Yes. Because they don't have one. One of these things group. is not like the other. And then, <laughs> but we're, we're sort of, um, we're sort of the fine wine of the group, if you will, because sure. we're, we're sure. more or the dirty tequila shot. One of the two. Yeah. We, I don't want to say that um, this is not an age thing, but we seem to be wiser than the other. <laughs> we, we're, there you go. We're on. We're one of the oldest ones. That's for sure. I mean, yeah, not I, people. I would not hazard a guess and, and say we. Yeah, we are the oldest of the crew there. That it's a very young, very energetic, very dynamic group of people that we bond with, and 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 I'm, yeah. you know, so. I'm I'm confused. I mean, literally, yeah. one of these well, things. You're, is you're not, confused yeah. most of the time. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. I, that's I, so true. That's a. I mean, I don't really know what you're talking about. <clears throat> I think they wanted to bring the energy level down a bit. I think okay. they wanted yeah, adults yeah. in the room. That's right. And they said, "All right, Joe and Robert, why don't you come bring it down to you know just just a hum, not a roar, not a hum, just, just a hum. Yeah, that, yeah, that would that's be right. it. But basically, just so everybody knows, what happens is <laughs> there's we so throw- many jokes. There's so <laughs> many jokes that are right there that are like. <laughs> Energizing you can't go there. Energy. Yeah, I know that you, I can't, can't go, go to go it, there yeah. because this is an adult show. That's correct. That's, that's not that's an adult <laughs> show. Yeah, that's right. It says it's an it's a safe for work show. I was gonna say I almost said it's a not safe for work show. This is a safe for work show. I think Kinda, outside of the yeah. fact that sometimes you throw out an expletive. That's that right. Like, oh my god, this is a Christian show. What are you that's doing? <laughs> and then I have to go apologize to my mom every time you say something it's like a Christian that. Show. <laughs> oh, but anyways, dear. just so you know, so so in the middle of this 
podcast, yeah, we put out a couple of ads sponsors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes those will be HubSpot ones. Sometimes they'll be HubSpot ones and our ads that we're paying the bills. So it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. our goal is to grow this podcast uh, with HubSpot's help and help them grow their whole idea of becoming the dominant media player and yeah. business, I think, is it's, what they really want to become. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like it's a business model, this whole media thing that we're talking about here. Well, and it's interesting that uh, HubSpot didn't think they could dominate the entire business audio field until they got our little yes, podcast. That's so right. Just, so now it's going to happen. That's now, correct. Now it's, now it's going to happen because we're that final piece. That is that is correct. Puzzle. And you're probably like, Joe, please shut up. No, no, <laughs> you stop no, 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 it's lovely. It's 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 <laughs> a lovely thing. And we're super excited about it. And I just couldn't be happier. That is just. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be gonna great. Be and we, yeah, I mean, and we get to keep going with this thing because, uh, you know. Yeah, well, that's what to keep, well, that's the, Maybe that's I would the, decide yeah. to stop. Oh, my gosh. I know you're always worried about that. I am why always you're so, worried about that's that. That's why you're so nice to me because. Yes. You really love this. I love this podcast, too, but I think you love it more. And the first time when I left it, you, you were, you were upset. It was like the notebook, but was, for podcasts. It really was. It really was. I was. I was Ryan Gosling in the rain, <laughs> holding your face. Oh. oh my god! Yeah, I don't know it, where that came from. Yeah, Anyways, some, somebody uh, will Photoshop that. Um, let's. We we have to mention Content Marketing World. We did. Yeah, yeah. We did. No, we have to mention it. No, I, I know we did. <laughs> All right, we should just start this whole podcast over. It's already off the rails. It was lovely to see you last week. It, it was, was great. We yeah. had a wonderful time. Um, it was uh, it was so, so well run, and D was you know of course I've been very public about my feelings. I love the DC venue. I'm a little sad it wasn't in Cleveland because I'm the Cleveland yeah. Homer. I like events that stay in the same cities, but I totally get it. Um, as content marketing world continues to expand and really come back from, you know, the, the COVID downward spiral that events, all events sure, got yeah. into. And now, now they're, you could really tell, um, a lot of new people at the event, a lot of people from the East coast. Yes. It was especially <clears throat> and Europe and, and it made it so much easier for the Europeans to come over and, and visit because it's just a straight flight. You know, is so. that a good thing? Is that, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many European friends. That That's right. Can, you can send me nasty grams. Yeah, yeah, but it was good. It was. It was. Yeah, I was really. I was really pleased with everything. Um, you know, including the venue. The venue was lovely. Um, you know, a little big. I would say. You know, my my only. I guess not a critique necessarily, but just sort of a comment. I guess was. It was, you know, it's big, you know, and we have, we need a big place. Um, and, but the Washington convention center is quite large. And so it was a little bit of a hike for hope every time you needed to go to another session or to down to the keynote stage. And, you know, and I was running back and forth between there quite a bit. So it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a hike, but other than that, I thought the venue was, was, was fantastic. And the, the, the lovely thing about it was the, uh, you know, the, the the ability to have lots and lots of elbow room, right? You know, you had lots of elbow room with, you know, the places where you could go for lunch and the places you yep. could actually have meeting rooms. And, you know, so as an, I guess, an inside baseball person, 
you know, normally the, you know, the, the, the lack of like an office space or a lack to have a meeting space and all those kinds of things was tough because we used every inch of that Cleveland convention center. And, and this, we had, you know, tons, tons of office space. I had my own little room for a while. And so that was really nice too. See a lot of people. And, and I, I came, um, I was there on opening day, but I came a little bit later cause I had another thing that I had to do. And the, the problem was, I was at the opening reception, but I was standing outside the Cleveland Convention Center. I forgot. I forgot it was oh. in Washington. It was, oh, there it was very embarrassing. I was out there with my orange <laughs> there you tux go. on, and there was nobody there. And then I had to quickly scramble and go, get a flight to D.C. Yeah. So and there then, you go. And I saw there you, you go. So it was yeah. all, it, it yeah. all worked. And the yeah, portrait and gallery was, was lovely. The party at the por- portrait gallery was, I mean, th- I mean, oh, that was goodness. just, oh, the portrait gallery is just such an amazing place. It's, it's a just, great. Yeah. It's a great location. Um, it's hard to describe how wonderful it was going to see the portraits and then the outside venue, uh, in yeah. the middle where everybody was, uh, and there was quite a dance party that broke there, out. There was quite the, the dance end. party. I was yes. already gone by then because I was, you know, I'm, I'm old and I like my sleep. That's right. Uh, but, uh, but you were there. Um, you were leading the line dance. From I, was I, I was, I was uh, not, I was not, I think you and Nazarbina. Yes. We're doing doing some dancing. Nas was Nas was sort of leading the way there with his sort of. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen the the video? He's so good, he's so yeah. good at dancing. Yeah, he's so great. Good. Well, here's the thing that when when Nas dances, it's zero to a hundred. Like he's just no, talking right. exactly. There's no chill. Yeah. Good, you're talking about uh, you yeah. know okay. We're talking about content creation and structural yeah, content and all exactly. that. And then he just breaks out. That's right. Uh, do, doing some moves. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I did not expect this. Um, it was quite entertaining. So that, hi, Nas. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was great uh, and wonderful. And then I don't know the exact dates for next year, but did, it's there. On, it's in October. It is. It's a Diego. little later. Yeah, it's a little later. And it's in San Diego. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, there may or may not be Ron Burgundy references throughout that whole thing. And, you know, uh, we already know your opening is going to be Ron Burgundy. It may be something. I don't even have, there's don't no even, guessing involved. Yeah. That's exactly what it's going to be. You came, out, you came out this year as the president. Did you? Not? I did. I did. Well, I, tr- I, I attempted such a thing. I'm not sure it really read. Um, I mean, I was looking at the photos going, I just sort of look like a dude in aviators. I, I don't, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really pull off the whole Joe Biden uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but I did yeah. have the, I, I did have the baseball cap on and I had the sunglasses and I had, I did have, so here's the one thing. It was an excuse to buy a new suit and I got lots of compliments on my suit. So I, oh, I was, I was good. super, was I, I actually bespoke? have a suit that is a well, bespoke. It is. It, it was, I actually spent real money on a new suit. There's nothing and, like spending money on a suit. It really isn't. Seriously. I mean, it was very, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a treat yourself, right. You know, so it was definitely to go out and get money for it. It makes me want to wear the suit. It really does, which is weird because I so rarely wear a suit, but that suit made me want to wear a suit because it's comfortable and it's nice okay. and it fits. <laughs> it actually fits, which is a big, a big challenge for well, me. Well, I'm not at the event. I was wearing my, my custom jacket uh, that my wife gave me as a gift mm. and it's got the orange yep. uh, thread on it. And it's, yeah. it's just absolutely beautiful. And, but people don't know this on the inside, instead of sometimes saying your name, like it's, it should say Robert Rose or Joe Polizzi. Sure, sure. It says property of Pam Polizzi. I don't know what you does know. it really does it really <laughs> does it really <laughs> you'll have to find out I, I you'll have to I, find out so that is yeah a fun fact. I mean 
and, and but I, it's worth it. It's worth yeah. it because the jacket is amazing, and I yeah. will absolutely be the property there of Pam Pulitzer. All right, should we do a sh- should we do should we do a show? I mean, we're back. We're back in and in, in we're action. Back. We're sort of on time. It's um, sort of on time. Yeah, yeah. If we got a new uh, sponsor, it's the whole. It's just it's you know, just right back into the swing of things. Uh, yeah, the only thing we're not talking football. No, so we got to no. mention it. Congratulations yeah. to your Cowboys. That Thank defense you. Dominant is win. Legit. Yeah. Yeah, dominant, dominant win. and and I was at the the Ravens uh, Browns game. And Dude, I don't even know what to say. I, I I'm just you know, I mean, it's well, like they, one one week your quarterback looks okay, and then the other week your quarterback looks like well, he, he was it was it was a first, his you know, uh, Deshaun couldn't play. So. Oh, I didn't even see the game. I didn't even see the game. Oh no, it wasn't Deshaun. Deshaun it was wasn't. Out. Oh, 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 no, oh. it was a rookie as our rookie DTR rookie quarterback from why UCLA. is why is Deshaun out. It's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> just eight eight responses to that I was gonna have. Yeah, his shoulder hurt. His shoulder hurt. Okay, and they, right. he couldn't he couldn't find anyone could play for him. Okay, yeah. All right. So, anyways, it was uh, it was unfortunate because I it would have been a totally different game. The the yeah. our quarterback was completely overmatched. I think we had oh, yeah. hundred total yards in the entire game. It was embarrassing. Yeah. Really was, and and yeah. I get it. Rookie quarterback, you have a rookie running back. You have, um, it's we didn't move the ball. We put the defense in horrible position. They were great yeah. in the first half, but they just kept giving them field position, and there's nothing they yeah. can do. So whatever. <laughs> All right, yes, well, we'll, let's we'll, talk about. Yeah, yeah, so let's keep moving on. Yeah, let's move yeah. on then, because that that that's just no fun for anybody yeah. to talk about the Browns. Um, Show. <clears throat> All right, we have a good, a wonderful show, and uh, it'll start off. We'll talk a little bit about Yinda Yakarino for those of Yaka. you who are new to the show. That's how we Yaka. say Linda's name. Yaka. She spoke at the Code Conference uh, on Twitter and the current status of Twitter, and it did not go that well. Uh, we'll talk about her interview and uh, what went down at the Code Conference and the kind of status of Twitter right now and her place in it. Uh, Then we'll talk about Google. Uh, And Google has been making a couple of news items this week. One is they're going to shut down the podcast network. So we'll talk about that. But they're also launching new subscriber analytics as part of YouTube. So it seems to be a concerted move to move everybody to YouTube. Uh, And then also we're going to talk about Reuters. And they have a new research study out. And they're finding that this is a shocking, shocking, shocking finding that news, online news subscribers are both rich and have Internet access. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the findings that uh, that they came out. We'll answer a viewer question from our friend uh, and family member of the audience, Todd. Uh, He's got a question about B2B communities. Uh, Then we'll get into rants and raves, of course, where Joe will comment a little bit on what's going on with the student loan process. And I, uh, you know, as we were gone at Content Marketing World, the writers and and, uh, producers came came to an agreement and I will walk through something that I am amazed that I could not find online, uh, which was just a very simple breakdown of what they got versus what they asked for. Um, every article I saw on, uh, this is almost a little mini rant of itself, but every article I found was like, it was amazing. The writers got everything they wanted. It was amazing. And it's just not that that's just not true. Um, but, but they got a lot. And so we'll talk. I want to I want to break it down a little bit and talk mm. a little bit about and pat myself a little bit on the back uh, about my prediction uh, there. So I there like we go. it a lot. Uh, hey, before we start. Yeah. Did you see the Mr. Beast tweet by chance? This is like breaking news. Did you see this? 
I, I, I heard about it. I did not actually see the direct tweet, but I, but I had a, a little birdie that told me uh, perhaps in the green room before we started the show uh, about So there it. was some back and forth on, on a tweet about how much Mr. Beast spent or Mr. Beast's budget for next year. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Donaldson. Yeah. And uh, he tweeted in response that he's, he's spending or in the budget is $120 million on the cost of doing his videos for 24. That's amazing. 120 million. That's, amazing. that's cost. Yeah. That's Hollywood studio money. That's yes, just, right? you know, that's, that's Hollywood studio money. So it's just interesting that, you know, this, this creator who started in 2012 and in 2016 had 30,000 subscribers on YouTube, didn't hit a million to 2017 now has a $120 million budget. Yeah. Uh, so I can, which means by can the only, way, it yeah. means, by the way, he expects against that cost probably somewhere to double that, right? To, At least. Well, that would be 50%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's right. other costs in there, too. So I'm under the assumption that if you're just working like a traditional media company, he's looking at north of $300 million. Of revenue. In yeah. revenue. Minimum. Uh, yeah. Could be more. And then who knows about, I mean, the whole Feastables candy bars thing is taking off. Did you know that... <laughs> I, my wife bought uh, a Feastables bar, and there's many different kinds. You know what kind <laughs> okay. that, that she bought? She bought the chocolate uh, peanut butter. I was going to say peanut butter had to ac- yeah. account in it. But the, the name yeah. of it is D's Nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, they're flying off the shelves. Folks. That's there. There's there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> By the way, one of the. So, but it's a, so a D's nuts. I know I, I, I know that meme, but one of the funniest things that happened during the whole content marketing world event was the fact that yours truly had no concept of taco cat. We, you and I were sitting as judges at the drink and draw event where somebody drew taco cat. I like fell in love with this whole concept of taco. It's cat. the greatest thing was, ever. You're like, I thought it was the funny, cat, I'm amazing. checking for the domain. I'm doing like that. And people were like, child. Okay, hold on, hold on. You realize this is like a meme from like, you know, 1997 or something. And I'm like, no, I didn't realize that. So I felt a little bit like Steve Buscemi, like, you know, hello, rock and roll kids. <laughs> Do you have any drugs on you? So, oh my God. Yeah. Jenny Magic, who is one of the judges, she, she goes, was so phone, she's like, Look, Robert, here's the 70 million references <laughs> yes, to exactly. Taco Cat on the web. And you're yeah. like, I don't know. I'm looking. You said, I look at old internet, and there's Taco Cat wasn't on old internet. It's on yeah. new internet. That's right. That's who right. Knew? Yeah, that's but, anyways, right. it was I'll fun. Get... We had a really good time. Congratulations to our friend JK for, for running that little yeah. wondrous event. People had a really good time. All right, right, let's get to our first story. Yes, this comes to us courtesy of Slate.com, although there's a few places actually commenting on it. Um, The the headline here is the chief embarrassment officer of X. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Snarky. Oh, that's terrible. Linda Yaccarino keeps being humiliated on Elon Musk's behalf. So the article opens up by saying nearly four months into her tenure as CEO of X, the everything app that has to keep reminding users that it used to be a social network called Twitter. Linda Yaccarino can't seem to fully explain what she's doing there. That is one hell of a lead. Uh, This week, the former NBC universal advertising chief made the rounds in a sphere where one would assume that she's been comfortable. The mainstream media on Wednesday, the financial times published a first of its kind profile of Yaccarino's ex tenure covering her working relationship with the ever controversial owner who appointed her as CEO. Uh, that same day, she appeared at Vox Media Code's conf- uh, Media's Code Conference uh, as the featured speaker. 
sitting down for a conversation with CNBC's Julia Borston about the future of X. Among other things, both media appearances made something pretty clear. She often doesn't know much about the decisions Musk's make and is frequently unable to explain them. Uh, the FTPs noted that Yacarino seemed to be caught unaware when uh, reporter Hannah Murphy asked her about Musk's habit of running X entirely through his phone. Her response, maybe I should take note of what you've just said, that she had no knowledge of Musk's November 2022 pledge to establish a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints, despite having previously said that she'd closely followed the Twitter takeover saga. That's news to me, she said. Uh, and it went on at, as in terms of at the Code conference, uh, there was a pre-interview chatter that Yacarino might not even show up because of the same-day edition. Yal Roth, who was the former head of Twitter's trust and safety department, was going to also speak there. Uh, but basically, uh, she she at one point she's like, uh, "Yeah, I, I got to catch a flight." She literally looked at her watch and was like, "I got to catch a flight in the middle." That was of the at thing. the end of yeah, the end of the interview. She says, "Yeah, okay, that's about it. I got to catch a flight." Which yeah, is, I got to catch. Doesn't happen. It just yeah, it's it it it. it, it just, Someone is not helping Linda out. Somebody, in, I mean, I know they don't have a PR group, but I have to imagine that Linda does, uh, <clears throat> you know, that she's got a team um, and boy, somebody is not either prepping her or something. I mean, I, I would normally yeah. say, ah, this is a real bummer because she's got a boss who's sort of act going rogue and she can't really control it. But at a certain point, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know this is coming and you have to be, prepped for it either either that or well, don't do the interview you know what i mean first of all uh, and and people who are listening to this can't see this but in the slate um story here do you see these pants that she's wearing yeah they're, they're leather like, yeah leather pants yeah, yeah. they're like full leather uh, yeah. brown i had a couch just like this girl oh no um, no i'm serious i like i looked at i'm like wow that's amazing where did she i mean she went to the couch store to get the pants anyways the <laughs> <laughs> that's so terrible i feel yeah. really bad for her because she is an extremely intelligent woman she's got an amazing background and i i'm not sure why any person would want this job i i, I it, it just it feels like well, and she's money. done some I mean, really good money. She, She's done one. some well. The money, I'm sure the money's good, but she's done some really amazing things trying yes. to repair advertisers, yeah. the relationship with the advertisers, and figure out what processes Twitter have has left with the whole thing. But um, and and the other, just to be fair, I mean, she did come out after kind of they sprung on um, the guy Roth, who was speaking before her, that slammed everything about Twitter X. Yeah, and then she has to come on just an hour or two later and go through the whole thing. She wasn't aware of that. That's really not not fair at all. So she did this. Well, it's not back yeah. out. So, but it's not. It, it, it's it's certainly a little, you know, a little uncool. Let's just say, but for that the her, event would do that. That the event would do that to her. Correct. But yes. but that you know, and I'm sure there's another side to that 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 story that we don't we're not aware of. But having said that you gotta you gotta be ready for this right you gotta be you how are you not ready for that right how are you not uh yeah and and the the lesson here by the way for marketers that are going to events and that are speaking at events and those sorts of things is that you have to be prepped you have to be you know as an as a you know i mean look we had at content marketing world there were speakers who went and spoke and at companies where they are the leader 
of, uh, you know, basically uh, companies that have laid off people that have, you know, have had big layoffs and they're talking about, you know, how amazing their marketing is and how amazing things are going, blah, blah, blah. I know because I spoke with these people, they were prepped for questions about that, right? They were, they were prepped for questions about that. We had the, 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 you know, one of our keynote speakers was the, the, you know, the chief data scientist from Google who no longer works at Google, by the way. And so, and literally left between the time that she was signed as a keynote speaker and uh, spoke on stage. Mm -hmm. So we were prepped. We, you know, we, we didn't introduce her as such and she was prepped for those questions. Should they come up? And so, um, you have to be, this speaks more to her, you know, either it comes back to what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to do at this event? Right. Is she trying to rehabilitate the brand? Is she trying to further her own? Is she trying to basically show that business as usual at Twitter? What's the objective? What's the objective of this content appearance? Because that's ultimately what is, you know, what is at play here and get prepped for it to, you know, <laughs> not to, not to make a football metaphor here or anything, but basically the, the, the Cardinals who are a bad team kicked the Cowboys ass, uh, last week. And they did because the Cowboys did not take them seriously. They did not take that team seriously and thus were unprepared for what they threw at them. And this is, this feels so much like that. This was like, you either didn't care enough to prep or you just you you generally speaking don't understand why you're there and you're just letting people you know throw you onto the middle of a stage. So that's I I, I, I she's extraordinarily well respected in the ad tech and advertising world, and for her to have a performance like this is just it's it's on her to be honest. No, I agree. I I don't know. It would have been better if she would have had prepared remarks like a state. She would did a speech. Go ahead. Right. I mean, she has an option. I'm sure they asked for a Q&A. She could have said, hey, give me 20 minutes on, and I'll do a 10-minute Q&A or 15-minute Q&A. And she could have at least talked about the vision of Twitter X instead of just being grilled. And so, and it was, and of course she got grilled. She didn't have the answers. It was embarrassing. Right. I mean, especially at code, right? I mean, code is known for having those kind of interviews, you know, Kara Swisher, you know, is often the one going to, going to do those interviews and they're always, you know, they're, they're not easy, but here's the thing. I'm a, I don't know how Vox runs this event. I'm sure it's, I've heard great things about it, Yeah, but she would have received these questions in advance from any other conference. So I'm under the assumption that she received the questions in advance. I'm I'm going to assume that she was she was told what they would the topics that they would be asking about. So she knew. She had an idea. Yeah. She, and she went she, into it with these and having these answers. And if she didn't, that's again on her. If she didn't, that's again on her. You know, that she if she didn't know the topics or was surprised so, by the, the the tenor of the questions, right? How long does she stay? Uh Oh, that's a great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess sometime early next year. I'm gonna so guess sometime okay. early next year. So it's year. October of twenty three. I can't remember their fiscal. Quarter. I I can't remember their fiscal. I can't I can't remember. I thought when. they were an October fiscal, but um, yeah. So well, then that, the that would year. yeah that would be the new year then because basically results will come out for the fiscal and they'll be bad. And but she'll it doesn't take, matter. It do, he can, they're a private company now. They can share whatever they want. 
They don't have to share anything. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah, not, they're great. not public yeah. companies, yep. so yep. they can great. Do, yeah, they can point. literally. So that pressure's off. It's really whatever they want. Good point to share. Good point. The yeah. the the comment that she had about getting back whatever it was ninety percent of their advertiser base. That's not going to happen. It's no. an, it's not going to happen for two reasons. One is that Elon continues to alienate people, and the second thing is Twitter's just not a good advertising platform. That's it right. is not. If you're going to advertise right now online, you're going to look at one TikTok and two Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, you're not going to look. You're not going to send any of your money. And and th- we've already seen a cutback in sponsors. Huge cutback from, from oh, I'm gonna I'm going to sponsor everywhere uh, with these social media platforms to generally one or two. Well, um, I'll just put it like this. You know, this this was the I think one of my biggest aha moments. Normally, when we have content marketing world and the you know we look at the social media activity, after I got off keynote stage and all the you know the morning Wednesday morning keynotes would have happened, there would have been hundreds of yep. tweets about what went on, what happened, who spoke, what they spoke about. It was crickets. I mean, there were a few. I'm not you know it's not wasn't none, but it was but it was it was you know. 18 strikingly different strikingly different the linkedin on the other hand was a completely different story linkedin which was normally quiet during content marketing world because people don't use it as a short form posting uh you know like you know hey look check me out i'm at a i'm at a conference you know that was a buzz you know and instagram instagram and and linkedin were the two buzzworthy social media channels but but this is really good uh, to think about just for events because you used to have it all siloed through Twitter. That yeah, was the main sharing right. platform. That was the hashtag and everything. So yeah. you still have, let's say 20% onto Twitter. And then you have, uh, inst- as you said, in- some on Instagram, some on LinkedIn, maybe a few on threads. I don't yeah. know, but you have probably half of that doing nothing now. That's right. They're actually, maybe it's a good thing. They're just sitting there listening. Yeah. Trying to be a part of the event instead of tweeting about it, but that's right. I think you've lost half of that social media interaction. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's curious. So. Well, speaking of great advertising platforms, amazing advertising platforms where paid media really, really gets its way, <laughs> it's time for us to pay a couple of bills, and it's time for us to roll our wonderful sponsor ads. Go ahead and do that, Joe. You know here at This Old Marketing, we like our football and football metaphors. And something magical happens when the third quarter ends and the fourth quarter begins. The energy changes. The fourth quarter is where games are won, where champions are made, and in business, it's where sales teams become legends. That's why HubSpot built Sales Hub, to give sales reps the deal-making tools they need to win in Q4 and close the year strong. Sales Hub's prospecting workspace organizes your schedule, goals, and to-do list all in one place to save your team precious fourth quarter time. Smart sequences help sales reps close deals faster than ever. And with an easy-to-use deal management tool, reps can find, track, and close deals all in one place. Plus, AI forecasting helps you accurately predict future success. That means less hoping for deals and more crushing targets. Put your sales teams on the fast track to winning Q4 with Sales Hub. You can learn more at HubSpot.com slash sales. Hey, 
Well, hello there. I'm Robert Rose, one half of the two marketing chuckleheads that make up this old marketing. This Old Marketing is the newest show to join the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals with content designed to help you listen, learn, and grow. So what can you expect? Well, this is the part where I set those expectations. At This Old Marketing, my colleague Joe Polizzi and I discuss what's new in content marketing, the business of media, and digital content creator news. It's always around an hour, and that is unless Joe goes off on some tangent about his fondness for email or print. And if not educational, it's at least entertaining. Listen to This Old Marketing and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash Podcast Network. All right, so I that have was a, pretty natural. That was pretty uh, uh, pretty natural. Well, first of all, yeah, I thought that that was great. I think that the one thing is you had to get the football reference in with the with they the wrote that. Ad. That's that was. Oh, I, that right? I, I thought I, you I, totally did that. No, that no, no, amazing. that was their wonderful ad copy. I, I was, I, oh. I mean, I had, I had many choices to choose from, and, oh, um, and they, nice. and that was one of their options. And so I was like, I was like, oh. well, of course, I'm going with the football. I one. didn't I'm know that. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I, I said that he wrote that in there. Yeah, Here's no. the thing I thought about the second one. Which, by the way, I'm really, I, I really want to subscribe and follow yeah, this, uh, this, old right. marketing sold this old marketing podcast. Podcast, but yeah. it reminds me of the movie Dave when he's trying to get the budget set <laughs> exactly. and he's like, okay, well, why are we spending $125 yeah. million or whatever marketing to uh, American car owners that they should buy an American car? Right, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's right. right. Listening to this We're going ad. to advertise to people. <laughs> To buy an American car that have already bought an American car. He's like, that's right. He's like, okay. I'm not saying, and then Dave goes, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but maybe we just need to reprioritize that a little bit. (laughs) But anyways, I think the, the, that ad that you just read, I think that's going to go out on the, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) I certainly hope it's just not ours. I hope hope (laughs) that would be, that would not work. Yeah. That would like I I mean I don't know if we convinced anybody to stay with us. It's like oh well shoot I was listening already, but now that they're marketing <laughs> their what I'm listening to, I'm gonna listen even longer. <laughs> All right, what's next? All right, uh, uh, what is next? We are on to our next story here, and it is about <laughs> Google. Here we've got a couple of stories to pair together here. Uh, one is going to come to us courtesy of TechCrunch, uh, and maybe this should be shocking to absolutely no one, but Google Podcasts uh, are going to shut down in 2024 with listeners to the podcast migrated over to YouTube Music. The article opens up by saying Google announced this morning that it will be shutting down its Google Podcast app later in 2024 as part of its broader transition to move its streaming listeners over to YouTube Music. The company earlier this year announced YouTube Music would begin supporting podcasts in the U.S., uh, which will expand globally by year end, and more recently said it was adding the ability for podcasters to upload their RSS feeds to YouTube also by year end. Uh, Today, Google says it plans on further increasing its investment in the podcast experience on YouTube Music and making it more of a destination for podcast fans with features focused on discovery, community, and switching between audio podcasts and video podcasts. So obviously, we will be paying very close attention to that. Um, We'll pair it with another story here in just a second, but I want to get your take on this on 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 the uh, on on the Google, you know, moving moving podcasts over to YouTube. I mean, this is like. We expected this, right? I mean, this is everybody's doing this now. Google Podcasts have never taken off, right? And 
without working very hard on it, to be honest, YouTube's have. Um, I mean, yeah. people, people from all over the world, all different age uh, brackets, firmographics, whatever the case is, they listen to YouTube for music and podcasts. It's already there. Yeah. And it's if you're looking at where the battle for podcast and music listening is, I, I think it's between YouTube and Spotify. I mean, it's those two players. And it's almost as if Apple has conceded and said, well, whatever, listen to whatever player you want to. Uh, you just make sure you buy our Apple Music package, <laughs> or now it's Apple One. Where you, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know where do you where do you listen to your podcasts at? Do you, uh, I listen on Spotify. I, I my, really? okay. Yeah, yeah, Spotify is my is my chosen platform uh, for for all podcasts. Um, and and then secondarily, there are a couple of podcasts that I listen to that are only on Apple. Um, and the reason they're only on right? Apple, yeah. Well, the only well, the reason they're only on Apple is because of the whole Joe Rogan thing. So they they went off of Spotify for a while, and then and then have stayed off of it. And so you know, I'm still like, uh, I'm still you know, for a couple of podcasts, I'm still listening on Apple, but primarily, um, almost exclusively Spotify. Yeah. How I'm about on, you? I use Overcast. Yeah. Okay. Overcast. Well, Overcast was great. I, I I like Overcast, but I use Spotify for so many other things. Like I like Spotify is my music player too. Like I I don't use Apple Music. I use okay. I use Spotify for my music, my playlists, you know, and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, it's, but it's interesting. I mean, I having younger children and just seeing that their behavior. I mean, they for anything audio, it's YouTube. It's yeah, just, and and it's funny. A couple of years ago, I was I thought it was odd. I mean, when when my youngest came to me and said, "Like you're not doing anything on YouTube with the podcast," like what's wrong with you? And I'm like. I don't know what is wrong with me. I yeah. should probably do that. I didn't think about it. Then you look at the stats and you're like, wow. So anyways, this, this move by Google uh, makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, again, you feel bad for those people that really focused on, on Google podcasts. Most people don't, most podcasters, they basically send it out to every possible channel. Like we do. It's like, Oh, yeah. okay, well, we'll send it out to YouTube. We'll send it to Apple. We'll send it to, to Google. We'll send it to Spotify. It's all good. So basically for us is, you just okay. We're not sending to Google Podcasts anymore. No yeah. big deal. And yeah. then they can and focus attention on on YouTube. I think it's great for them. Yeah, I think it's well. I think it's really good, and it goes in line with the other story that we're pairing with this other story, which is that YouTube has now launched new subscriber analytics uh, to content creators um, that are that are on the platform. Uh, the article coming to from socialmediatoday.com and, and basically the article opens up by saying YouTube has announced some new analytics updates, including insight into why subscribers cancel their channel subscription, which could assist in future planning. Uh, in addition to this, YouTube is also providing more specific insight into how new and returning viewers engage with your content in isolation, another helpful driver for content planning. Uh, first off, on the new and returning visitors, uh, YouTube has added new element in studio analytics, which provides separate measures for each viewer cohort, which helps you understand what new viewers are watching, which I, that's, that's really interesting to me. Um, and then secondly, uh, you've got a new and returning viewers tab, which will provide creators with a dedicated space to analyze the performance of their content based on audience segments. So basically you can see, you know, you put up that really bad video and it causes everybody to head for the doors or you put up that new piece of content and it has people, you know, coming in. So you get a really nice, I think this is great 
uh, in terms of giving insight into YouTube creators. And it just, and this, I think in combination with the podcasting thing, it's, it's clear that they're moving all of their audio video, you know, Google is moving it pretty much everything into YouTube, right? Under the, underneath the YouTube umbrella and really focusing on content creators, you know, and this is obviously a reaction to TikTok and and everything else that's, that's going on and as well as Spotify and music and audio, but yeah. Um, and anything, I mean, I've taken a look at it on our, on my own channel, which is so small that it doesn't really matter, but any, no, there's any, some great data. Yeah. I mean, yeah. any of this kind of data is great. I mean, we even, we just hooked up to chartable, uh, for our podcast and I'm really yeah. interested to get more data from that. But the, the fact is, is that I think that YouTube fears TikTok more than any other organization. So, so does like, everybody, I suspect. I yeah. understand that, but 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 YouTube has been the dominant flip player in video for the last 15 years. Yeah. And now somebody has even, I mean, Instagram came along. There's lots of different things that came along and you're like, ah, and YouTube's like, ah, ho-hum, we're fine. Don't worry about us. And they could do whatever they want with creators because it was the place to be. And then you had Twitch come on for a while and, they, and Amazon totally screwed that one up. And now you've got, it's like, okay, now you got kick and I don't know where that's going. That's the little, as the kids would say, that's a little sus depending on the, <laughs> on the kind of content going on. But if you're looking at, oh, who can be, who's going to be the dominant player in video content for the next 10 years, you'd have to put all your money on TikTok. I think, to. I think that's, I'm not sure I'd do that. I'm not sure I'd count Google out of this just yet. You mean um, YouTube? as google yeah YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 youtube yeah for sure i'm not counting them out i mean i'm I'm just saying like to me even even though instagram has more and more video i when i think about video and social i think about two players i think about tiktok and youtube and the also ran is instagram yeah and well and facebook reels I right i mean you're talking about reels basically uh, yeah, instagram so, reels yeah yeah which is which is surprisingly good um reels and getting better um, but still I agree with you. It's, it's not, it's not a challenge for, that's not a challenge for TikTok, but I, I think you know, that's the average, I, the average user on, on TikTok uh, right now uh, watches for an hour and a half a day. I know it's amazing. It's 90 minutes. Hour it's crazy. And yeah, a half yeah. a day. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I can watch a, a whole Adam Sandler movie for that time period. Yeah. And I, I don't mean, know which is more valuable watching TikTok, TikTok <laughs> for an hour and a half. Or, or an Adam Sandler Gilmore. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that I don't know about you, but my feed right now, I mean, the, the, when I look at TikTok, the, the, my feed is almost exclusively scenes from movies. I mean, and, and I don't, I think it's just because I tend to, that's what I tend to watch. And, you know, I'm, I'm such a boy that way. Right. I know I'm totally like my wife, Elizabeth is like, how can you watch one scene of one movie? And I'm like, I don't know. I love it. I, I watch, I love watching my favorite scenes in movies. Like I watch scenes from the Godfather and scenes from happy Gilmore. And I watch scenes mm -hmm. from star Trek and I love seeing the scenes in movies. So it tends to dominate my feed. Yep. And so, yeah, you can, you can easily spend half an hour sitting there watching, you know, three minute scenes of your, yep. from your favorite movies. And I, I'm not on TikTok, So I, can not at all. Like you, ne you never I use it. Don't, nope. Never used it. Not, wow. not one time. Are you the only time I've ever looked at TikTok is when somebody sends me a link. Okay. And yeah. I will view that link. And then I'm, I've never scrolled through or anything like that. So, you know, whatever I, I, I'll let you, I'll live through you from that standpoint. But what I do know is that my youngest is on 
TikTok and yeah. has recently asked me to watch Major League and Moneyball because okay. of the oh, shorts yeah. on TikTok. That's right. So whatever's happening there, it has you actually totally get, behavior. Yep. Yeah. yeah, 100%. I would I could see that because I have started new series. Like I just started watching um you ever see the series Suits? Uh, no, I know of it. I've never yeah. seen it though. Yeah, I had I had heard of it and had never seen any of it, but I watched I started watching scenes from that. I was like, oh, I got to check this out. So I ended up watching. I'm now in the middle of, of watching Suits as a series because of TikTok. Yeah, so Ma- I totally Megan, buy Megan that. Merkel is in that, correct? She is, and she is just awful in it. So um, Are you really? You yeah. All because good. I had talked to somebody else that says she was positively radiant. No, oh, she's beautiful. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. She's beautiful. Oh, she's not a good actress? She, she can't act her way out of a paper bag. Yeah, I mean, that's... Oh, you know, that's Harry's yeah. not in it, right? That's no, Harry's not in it. Harry is not okay. in it. Because I mean, let's Harry be honest. In it, then my wife would be watching. Suits is not an intellectual like challenge. Let me just be clear. Like, suits is <laughs> suits is. Suits is it, oh, it's like it's like ballers. It's, it's comfort. It like ballers? Yeah, it's it's very much like that. It's it's oh, very much my. comfort food TV. Yeah, it's definitely like you know fun, silly TV. But um, yeah, right. yeah. But there you go. Enough. Right. Enough. Of, that's okay. enough about that. Um, all right. Uh, the show we'll we'll cover this one last article here before we get to our wonderful user question here, and it, and it's from uh, our friends at Reuters, and this is new research that has just come out, um, and basically it's about online news, and and the interesting thing here is is that there's some interesting findings here. Uh, one is is that says that low price. So this is all about subscription news, by the way, this is a subscription model. And I think there's some real interesting takeaways here for marketers and business owners, content creators. They say that basically uh, new subscribers, those are those who are subscribed to news, they're attracted by a combination of high quality curated exclusive content, identification with brands. In other words, they identify with the brand providing it and a desire to support quality journalism. So there's some insight for you. But in, more interestingly, I think, is one, low-priced introductory offers are effective at attracting new subscribers, but some customers fail to see value when prices are increased than at renewal. 28%, this may be one of the more interesting findings, 28% of U.S. respondents said they canceled subscriptions in the prior year, while 66% said their number of subscriptions increased or stayed the same. So you can get them and you can keep them even through some economic difficult times. Long-term news subscribers says the research tend to be male, older, richer, and better educated. Uh, to, you know, holy, well, wholly unsurprising here, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I mean, come, it's like, hey, there, you know, was your, your picture next to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't identify with the richer part of that, but um, yeah. Younger subscribers you tend next to pay to the Kardashians. You can't say that. <laughs> well, you know, let me, you're friends with the Kardashians. Here, okay, here's my favorite of findings, and I want to get your take. My favorite, my favorite of findings, because I'm just letting that go. By the way, but I'm just letting that roll. You let that go. What's your favorite yeah. of the findings? Right. Okay, so so quick side note. So the new Kardashian show is out, and my wife is a fan, and so it was on as I walked by last night. Yes, they just look weird now. They just look they, they look alien like now. I mean, they're just not. They don't even. It's because weird. of the it's, Botox or yeah, I, everything. I think. I mean, it's just it the they're lighting? just. They don't look. Like, I don't. I'm always like, who are these people? And she's like, it's the Kardashians. And I'm like, that does not look like the people that I remember from five years ago or whenever. But anyway, moving on. Um, By the way, my, I don't get the whole Botox 
lips thing. I don't, I don't either. I don't I get don't the whole get I don't, facial reconstruction I thing, but that's... It, I, don't yeah. see, I don't see the intrigue, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so my favorite finding is that the value of news subscriptions, says the research, is partly conditioned by the amount of quality of free... Con- amount of and the quality of access to free content from both commercial and public access. And what I loved about that is that there's a real insight here for marketers, which is basically... Scarcity wins, right? In other words, if you're in the technology industry or if you're in real estate or financial services, pretty much everything you're thinking about talking about on your content marketing program, your blog or your resource center or whatever, everybody else is talking about. Now, you might have a unique take on it. You might have listened to Joe and you have your tilt and your sweet spot and all those things. But basically, if you're in a busy, noisy marketplace, You've got to find a way to create scarcity because that's what creates the value of a subscription. Um, and the access, you know, more access to it means, you know, so if you're in a busy, you got to make more content available for free and really create scarcity with that, what you're asking a, a subscription for, because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just not going to keep those people. what do you think? The, from, from this and then what we're seeing in the marketplace, your, your high price, high touch subscriptions do really well so you have a mixture of content but there's there's some human being yeah uh, as part of that process and a lot of these are are pricey i mean i know a lot of content creators that have two three four five thousand dollar a year plus member subscription membership programs they have there is some regular content in there there's exclusive webinars in there but there's some somebody some human that's checking in on you on a regular basis that's one that works really really well the second one is research focused subscriptions in B2B especially, those work very, very well. You might have an analyst on board that's that's talking to that person on a regular basis, some real insight that they can't get anywhere else. I'm yep. not seeing a lot of uptick with uh, exclusive content. In addition to this newsletter, you get a little bit more. In addition to this podcast, you get a little bit more. You get behind the scenes. I don't see those doing as well, except for if you wanted to target your 1% super fans. That's right. And from that standpoint, you can create a, okay, who are my super fans that would want to support me with whatever I do? If We're you're seeing Sam this. Harris, basically yeah. if you're Sam Harris, for example. Yeah. Sam Harris is a really, yeah. It's And and if you have um, 100, 200, 500 people that really love you and support you, they'll buy anything. That's right. They will buy anything that you have. And then you can, you can create a higher price point for that with some kind of exclusivity to the creator or the brand itself. So th- those are working really well. So I, I think these findings make, make perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're very interesting. And uh, of course we'll link to it in the, in the show notes and all of that, but um, all right, let's move on now to, before we get to rants and raves, let's move on to our viewer question of the week. And it comes to us courtesy of our friend and family of the show, Todd. Uh, Todd has a great question about B2B communities. If you want to roll that audio. Hello, gentlemen. Todd McCloskey reaching out. I have a question that I'm posing to you, and I think it's applicable for the whole audience. I've got a B2B event client. Let's just say it's a really large show. He's building a digital community to broaden how content is delivered and to strengthen engagement year-round. What strategies would you both recommend? All right. Do you want, right. to, uh, do you want to give your take on that? <clears throat> I, I will, but this sounds a lot like Content Marketing Institute, so I'm very interested to get your your take here. But I guess my my advice for Todd is to say, look, 
one of the traps that media companies, B2B media companies fell into both on on two sides of one coin, right? Which was one, building a media property uh, around an event or building an event around a media property. And so they fell into one or the other, right? In other words, you had this wonderful big event where you had people coming and digital or otherwise, right? By, you know, it could have been, you know, it could have been a single event, you know, a big virtual event, or it could be a big, you know, Dreamforce like, you know, physical event. And, you know, even Dreamforce, by the way, it was only in 2020 that Dreamforce had a 24-7, 365, you know, the Salesforce Plus. That was basically, it was COVID that actually inspired Salesforce to create Salesforce Plus because they didn't really have a 24-7, 365 version of Dreamforce Online. Yeah, you could get some of the, you know, the content that was repurposed, but they didn't have a strategy around creating a media property around that event until 2021, 2022, when they launched the event. So many companies have all these wonderful events that build community, but can't keep those attendees engaged year round without a media property. Vice versa, so many media properties fail to ever create sort of destination events um, and take that opportunity. And so they're wonderful at keeping a small group engaged, but never really build their super fans or never really build their sort of truly super engaged user base because they never translate those into monetized events. And so I guess I would, my advice is to follow the, you know, follow the pattern that content marketing institute and that you built so successfully which was to build that center of gravity around either the media or the event and then build your community around all those disparate uh, and and multiple revenue line value lines really more than revenue even value lines that pull everything in that's that's my you know so basically follow cmi what cmi did no thank you for that um I think the what you find out with most large scale events is they don't have a consistent content vehicle targeted to that audience yeah. year round. And you just made this point. So focus on that. And that doesn't mean boil the ocean, Todd. That means right. focus on one thing. What's the thing that makes the most sense that we're we have the most talent? Uh, that we have the most content around. Is that a podcast? Could it be a newsletter? Is it a webinar series? Is it a research program that we're delivering? And we can touch that. Uh, audience member on a regular basis. Don't even get to community yet. Because yeah. if you don't have that regular touch point on a daily basis or every other day basis, the community is not going to work. So focus on that first. And I would spend the next nine to 12 months just working on that. You'll see an uptick in the event. And you don't have to say, oh my God, we need our, uh, our attendees communicating with each other on a regular basis. No, you don't. You don't. You can still have a really good event. If you want to build that long-term community, focus on that regular content initiative. And then if you're going to launch something outside of that, some digital community, first get the audience involved in your content. And that's what CMI did really well. From the beginning, they were always involved in, hey, can you, will you do a guest blog post? We'd love you on these webinars. We did that right from the get-go and got them feeling really a part of it so that when they went to the event, they felt like they were part of the show because they were helping to put this thing on. Exactly. Help them be moderators at the event. So if you have super fans that are part of your your group that are going to these events every year, ask that person back, hey, would you like to do more? They'll all say yes. So get them involved in that. And then those are the people that are going to join your for your digital network. They're going to talk about you positively. They're going to get more people involved, whatever that 
community is. And the last thing I'll say, Robert, is if you're going to build a community, like a circle community or something that's online, like a Slack community, whatever it is, wherever it is, doesn't matter. Start very small with those people that already love you, that you can work out the bugs on. Don't invite everybody right off the bat. Get 30, 50, no more than 100. Work out those bugs. Figure out what the purpose of this community is, because if you don't have a purpose to the community and why they should be there every day, they will leave and you, it'll not work out and it'll hurt your event. I, so. And I'll the only thing I'll add to that, because I think that's the perfect sort of bow to tie on that, which is really ask yourself, if you're building a community or, or an audience and yeah. neither is the wrong choice, by the way, but be really super clear about whether your client or your business here is building a community, which means just exactly as Joe said, co-created basically events and co-creation where people are participating and talking with one another and really, you know, engaging with one another, or are you building an audience really? And you're just calling it a community yeah. because there are, there are values to both, but just right. be, you're super clear about it. Jay Akonzo has a great presentation on this. He says, neither one is wrong, but you need to make the choice. That's right. If you're building an audience. That's like you're on stage and you're giving a speech to an audience that is listening to you. There's nothing wrong with that. That has yep. worked for a long time. If you're building a community, you're not on the stage. You're in a circle and you're right. all together yep. talking. It's a much more difficult model, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So but, you have to make sure you spend the resources for it. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be more powerful, right? Because it, it also, yes, sure it is. But you're, yeah. you have to give more. So if you're like, exactly. hey, I want a traditional media model. I don't want to invest more time. Then just do the event thing and add in the content kicker. And yeah. you can be done with that and you can be just fine. Exactly. So, exactly. Go. Good stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. good stuff. It Thank you for that stuff. question, Todd. And for all of you, by the, by the way, you can leave us a voicemail at thisoldmarketing.com. Uh, you can ask questions. You can. The microphone's in the lower right hand corner when you go to this <laughs> yeah. old marketing. Those of you have had a lot of confusion about that. <laughs> I so. <don't> know why. <laughs> I'm not sure why. It could not be more obvious. I don't know. Hey, that maybe yeah. I need to move it around. Maybe I just should put it right in the middle <laughs> of the page. Big old, like a big arrow. Right like it's just a it's big easy. arrow pointing. We'll put down. it on there, whatever. Yes, absolutely. All but right. I, I interrupted you. Uh, no, I'm just going to move us on to our rants and raves where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave or about something that makes us feel like we're, oh, the current speaker of the house and just about to get fired or if we're, uh, if we're, not the speaker of the house and don't have to worry about such things. I mean, this, that's a crazy nutty thing that's going on right now. It's just, you know, the one, the one thing that's interesting, I was listening to <laughs> the, the prof G podcast recently yeah. and they were talking about the, what's the, what's the older Senator that keeps freezing. He's um, oh, McConnell yeah. McConnell. Yeah. Um, they were talking about the fact that, that him, and it's, it's a terrible thing that what's going on right now with him, but they're talking about that staying in the news is hurting Biden. Because age is always on when people see yeah, that. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting take yeah. where people are seeing it happen in front of them saying, oh, okay, well, there's a, there's a challenge in governing, governing there when you're, you're not healthy. So interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah, um, you want to go first or shall I'll I go, go first? Yeah, I'll oh, go yeah. first. Yours is All more right. on point. Okay. Uh, mine is, uh, I don't know if I necessarily even have to show this, but I'll go ahead and show it. This is from uh, Morning Brew, just talking about the student loan restart. And I wanted to bring this up because I don't think um, we're, we're talking about this important issue enough and what's going to happen with overall spending. Uh, so if people that don't know, there was a moratorium on having to pay back student loans starting in March of 2020. So this is right during 
during COVID. Um, so that was one of the relief measures. And for the past three plus years, stu former students who've had loans haven't had to pay those back. Well, now they're coming due and you're going to have to start paying again. Mm. And you listen to the stories of how people use that money. They used it on buying cars. They used it on travel. Yeah. They used it on subscriptions. They used it on all sorts of things. And the analysts and when you're so now they can't do that anymore. That discretionary spending for that is gone. Yeah. And they didn't like save it and hold back and say, oh, good. When my when my loans are good again, I'm going to put use all that money and pay that down. Nope. They did not do that. U.S. consumers did not do that. And now all that money is going back to paying off these student loans. And it's said that in the next year, that's going to hit the U.S. economy for between 70 and $100 billion in lack of spending from what that from what was happening there. And I was just, I think this is important to know, depending on who your target audience is and what you're going to be selling. And also, if you're just looking at the stock market or the general U.S. economy, I think this is th this is going to play out for the next 12 months. I think it's yeah. a really, really big deal that we're not talking enough about when you just say it's it's almost like, OK, you had the the Trump relief that was out there. Then that went away. That was a little bit of a shock. You had interest rates going so low and then that those rose higher and then that was a shock. And then you've got this other shock. And it's just it's interesting to see this happen. And I just think depending on what you sell as a content creator or a marketer, this could impact your business. Sure. And we need to be aware of it. Yeah. So hundred percent. There you go. hundred percent. And hopefully what we'll start to see is some of the private sector pick that up, right. In terms of education, in terms of the kinds of things where those student loans would have, you know, would, would be more pronounced. Um, so it'll be, it'll be, yeah, you're right. It'll, it'll be really interesting uh, to see what happens there. Um, yeah. Okay. What do you got? <clears throat> well, the WGA settled their 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 business um, and got a uh, and got a deal with the AMPTM, and and so, yeah, the producers and the writers they they came to an agreement, and while we were away, and basically it's you know there's a lot of coverage that you know as I was saying at the top of the show the of yay, everybody got what they wanted, um, except, you know, the producers didn't get what they wanted and that the, you know, that basically the, the writers won. And I think they did. I mean, I went in and I've actually looked at the results. Um, and I'm just, it's surprised. First of all, it just surprises me that no one really wrote about this. Like nobody went check by check by check. Here's well, who, what they get, how much, what they get stuff. and what they ask for. Right. I actually had to go back in time and search, you know, go to the, you know, the original proposals to say, okay, here's a list of the proposals that were made. And I went back to May, by the way. So I went back to the May negotiation. Um, and this was what was proposed by the writers and what the response from the producers were. And then I compared it to what they got. And so here's just a couple of insights that I think are really interesting that may help sort of outline, like if, you know, if you're, if you're wondering, but if, if you're wondering what the writers got and did they win the negotiation or not, I think they kind of did. I mean, they, I mean, they, they certainly, they got a lot of what they wanted um, with a lot of compromise, right? So for example, they, the, 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 one of the biggest headlines is they got a raise. And so they were asking for 16%, basically five, five, six, and five. In other words, over three years, five, six, and five, five percent, then six percent, then five percent. Yeah. Well, no, they got five, four, and three, right? So they got, you know, whatever that is, 12% instead of 16%. So good, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. So they asked for a hundred and fifty percent increase uh, of foreign streaming royalties. 
they got 76% raise, right? So they got about half of what they asked for. They on the writer's room thing, which was another big sticking point, like they wanted six writers minimum for a for a series of a certain size and four writer producers for a total of 10 writers guaranteed for a number of weeks. They got three and one basically. So they split it down the middle, right? So like we might have thought they split it right down. They got a guarantee of three plus one. They got the 10 weeks minimum as a minimum sort of you have to be employed for 10 weeks. So they got that as a concession. Then in what's called the post green light room, which means basically once, and this was a big sticking point for them, which was, okay, after a show gets greenlit, in other words, they say yes to actually they're going to make this number of episodes or whatever. What was happening is you had a lot of the writers, which the, the producers or the company would come in and say, okay, great. You, you get X, you know, you can, you can write the, the, you know, the, the, the script before it gets greenlit. And then once it gets greenlit, now you go off on your own and write on your own time. And we have to have, you know, 10 episodes before this. And so there was a big problem with sort of when they were getting paid, how they were getting paid. So they were looking for basically a guaranteed employment. In other words, you actually have to employ them, give them money, a weekly paycheck, basically. Um, they were asking for three weeks per episode. So in other words, if you had, you know, basically a, a 13 episode or a 12 episode series, you would get 36 weeks of employment. Um, and basically they got 1.5 guaranteed. So the, again, they split it right down the middle. By the way, this is my math. No one has done this math. And so I, and I don't wow, have you should, Maybe you should write this article up and then you know, it'll be the math behind the writer's I, You know, I'm doing the math sort of on the back of a napkin, right? I have not, you know, I haven't seen the details of the details, but yeah. Um, so AI was another big issue, right? Where it was a really weird issue because, they were making it sound like the producers wanted to replace all the writers with AI, but of course the producers never asked for that. Um, so I guess the writers got what they wanted, but generally speaking, the producers didn't give up anything that they already had. In other words, writers can use AI if they want to, but only if the company or the producer that's on their show says it's okay. In other words, they have the ultimate say of whether AI can be used, but the producers can't use AI without the writer's permission or they can't force the writers to use AI and they can't use AI to create original material from other original material that's submitted. So <clears throat> Got it. basically everybody has to disclose AI when it's getting used and everybody sort of has to agree on what it is. And seems reasonable. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. And so, and then the last piece, which was my prediction um, and the biggest issue I thought going into this was the viewership based residuals. In other words, can you get more money if, you know, you're, you know, whatever show, you know, you're, you know, the, some big popular show that gets downloaded a million times and you get more residual money than someone whose show gets downloaded like 10 times. And so they didn't get that, nor did they get access to that data, which I predicted, um, yep. that they, they were not going to give that cause that's like the keys to the kingdom and they're not giving that up. What they did get was a bonus based on aggregated hours, uh, in a month. So in other words, if your show gets X, Y, Z number of aggregated hours, and it's a based on budget and thing, um, you get a bonus, a, bo a, 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 a quite a big, you know, quite a big spiff basically on your particular show, which gets split among the writers, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't get the data, but the writers guild will get the data 
in aggregate form of all the streamers, right? So they'll say, hey, Netflix was, you know, 400,000 hours streamed or whatever it is. So they'll get that, but they're not allowed to share that. Um, and so that's that's what they got. So mm-hmm. did they win? I think they kind of won. Um, they, you know, they certainly got a lot from for their striking they did not get the big prize in my mind and i think that was the that was the the, the streaming residuals thing did you um see any of john oliver's take on this by no, chance i did not no he basically he was so upset he said that this deal that was struck could have happened on day one yes I, that's 100 percent true um it, so yeah. on needlessly six months of, of people going without 100 percent, i agree with that i i agree with 100 percent. i i don't know what they're something was sticking and I don't know what it was from May. It seemed like the big sticking thing was the number of writers in the writing room and the, and the residuals thing. So, you know, I, I don't know if that was always the sticking thing, but I hundred percent agree with that, that this should have been, this should have taken a few hours to negotiate. And I, you know, this group of people better than I do. I've never been a part of that uh, universe, but the one thing that I keep thinking about is, and then when I think about the, uh, the auto workers strike. You have no solidarity there because you have a the the most valuable uh, company, one of the most valuable companies in the world, Tesla, that is not unionized and doesn't look like they're going to be unionized anytime yep. soon. So they're being able to play by different rules than the GMs and the Fords and the Chryslers and those people. It's yep. a very tough environment. I don't know how long that can last. And I see the same thing for this. This is a very small portion of the content creators in the universe. You have way more content creators creating all sorts of content out there. They don't have to play by any of these rules at all. Um, how how does one group uh, work together to, to get rights for just the, that small group of people when you've got all these other people playing by whatever rules they, they need to play by to survive? Yep. I don't know how long something like this can last. I think this is very much your, and it always is that way. This is a mark in time that we'll make these rules for how they are now and we'll adjust as we go. But I, I'm real. I think you're going to see so much change in the next three years. Oh, 100%. Where some, some of this isn't even going to be possible. To when do you start that. looking at the, when you start looking at what the writers won in terms of the more money part of it, the more money part of it, all they, the, the, the producers didn't give, it's not like they opened up their bank accounts and went, okay, great. You know, for all those, you know, things that we did in the past, we're going to give you more, more money. Basically they said going forward, you're getting, you're get basically you're getting a raise and more people will be guaranteed work, which all that does by the way, is raise the production costs on individual productions. They were already going to reduce the slate of numbers of productions. That was already starting to happen as a trend, just to your point. And now what you're saying basically is production costs are going to go up. You know, somebody could do the very sophisticated math here, but let's say by 20%, the production costs are going to go up on an individual production or a TV series or a movie. They'll just absorb that cost. It's not, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just absorb that. It'll just be more expensive to make uh, a quality series. And so, nope, you know, no, nobody got, nobody got pickpocketed here. Let's just put it yep. that way. Yep. They will get more money, but to your point, the bigger trends are still the bigger trends and it's all, it's all shifting. Shifting sand, my friend. Shifting sands, shifting sands. All right. What do you got this week? Uh, I, uh, will be as this is is airing. I'll be in Boston. Oh, that's right, uh, marketing for profs. Yeah. Marketing profs because I completed the speaker uh, form. Some, <laughs> people, some people on the show did. Not. I did not. 
I did. So I will, I'll be there and, uh, and yeah, looking forward to seeing I, a lot of the people I just saw at content marketing world. So you've got, you know, half of those speakers that will make their way from DC to Boston and we'll, we'll do it again, but we'll focus more on B2B. That one, I'm doing a different speech. That one is on unconventional approaches to, to content marketing. So nice. that's kind of in my, you know, mostly, most of the time, that's what I speak about is content marketing. So I'm back, yeah. to, back to the old tradition. How about, back how about you, they sir? They drug you back in. <laughs> they just, they drug you back in. killing me back in. Uh, I'm heads down working. I've all the stuff that like got put to the wayside yeah. as I, you know, finishing up, we announced, by the way, our American Marketing Association certification for content Congratulations. marketing. Um, thank Very you. Good. I'm the instructor for that. So I'm putting the final, you know, sort of little bows and, you know, stickers on that to get it launched by the mid-month. And then, yeah, client work, you know, starting to work on some clients and all that kind of stuff. So back to work, back to work and back to work we go. And of course, getting ready for our amazing show now brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The business destination for something. I need to go read my script. There again. you go. Yeah, there there you we go. go. Yeah, you can sign us off here. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you again next week uh, on this wonderful show. And until we see you next week, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. <laughs>